1: Hello
2: and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK Services. And David, we often talk about how busy the energy market is, but my head is completely spinning this week just from the sheer scale and number of the announcements that we've seen.
3: Well, Giles, uh, it happened uh, when you were on the plane on the way back, I guess, from from the UK, but I, I must say I might as well have had jet lag. I woke up at 3 a.m. Uh, thinking about uh, all of it this morning uh, and we've got a guest who's right in the thick of it to talk a little bit about uh, what's driving things.
2: Well there's been a whole bunch of announcements this week as uh, you said and some of them did happen on the plane and um, I wrote a very quick story in the uh, in the lounge at Dubai airport actually. it might have been the quickest story I've written but um, it just happened to turn up that way. Anyway look um, we've had the federal government announce the first um, instalments of their Rewiring the Nation project, which is um, commitments, um, or at least MOUs for the Marinus Link, um, and also in Victoria for a whole bunch of transmission projects, mostly for offshore wind and the Kerang project. And then Victoria followed it up a day or two later with quite a remarkable um, announcement, 95% renewables by 2035, um, essentially the end of coal-fired generation by that time. Um, a much improved economy-wide emissions reduction target, and most interestingly, and probably controversially, the sort of reconstitution of the old State Energy Commission, which will be involved in building a whole bunch of projects. Anyway, I caught up with Energy Minister Lily D'Ambrosio um, soon after the announcement, and let's have a listen to what she had to say. Lily D'Ambrosio, welcome back to the Energy Insiders podcast.
1: Great to be with you, Charles.
2: Well, a pretty significant announcement Today, um, on, on Thursday, 95% renewables by 2035, um, signalling the end of coal. Why was it necessary to make this announcement now and at this scale and in this time frame?
1: Well, we've got to think big and we've got to take big action, Giles. We know that uh, if we simply left it to the market to make decisions about uh, when they're going, whether they're staying, uh, all of that nonsense that's been played out now for a number of years and continues to be played out, uh, all we're going to find is that electricity prices will just jump up uh, and will fail to capture the benefits, uh, the fantastic job benefits, and of course, the emissions reduction targets uh, that we've got great ambition to achieve. And look, we've, we've demonstrated very strong leadership in, here in Victoria from day one. When we first were elected, uh, just over 10% of our electricity was it was coming from uh, renewable sources back in the end of 2014. Uh, eight years later, uh, it's uh, more than 32%. Uh, and that doesn't happen by accident. It happens when you've got ambition and you provide the right certainty and the market signals uh, for investment to come forward. And that's what we've got. And, of course, we know that we've got to continue to decarbonise our electricity system, our economy, in fact. Uh, and you'll note too, of course, uh, Giles, that uh, not only did we announce a 95% renewable electricity target by 2035, we've also um, announced uh, nation-leading, and, and I will be modest enough to say, uh, world-leading uh, emissions reduction targets too uh, for 2035. It's necessary. It's what Victorians want to see from their governments, and we're delivering it.
2: You talked about the need for investment certainty. Um, why then was it necessary for the government to intervene, if I can put it that way, recreate the state electricity corporation? This seems to be the most um, controversial aspect um, of the package. Why does the government need to... Was there no confidence in the private sector to make the investment, the required investment, in the time frame needed?
1: Well, look, I don't see it as controversial, uh, uh, Giles. What I see is... This... Uh, being about is the fact that we are absolutely uh, in a boom period uh, and, in fact, an energy revolution. Uh, moving towards uh, renewable electricity uh, is about creating thousands and thousands of new megawatts of power creating the jobs, but also there's lots of profits in there. And I think here in Victoria, I mean, we had, of course, uh, we know what the Liberal parties have done. They've they've sold off public power assets to private for-profit companies. Uh, They sold off Victoria's essential services and sent much of the profits uh, offshore. Uh, and uh, with generators alone making about twenty three billion dollars in profits at our collective expense, so now we've got privatised coal power stations. Uh, they're getting old, they're breaking down and closing. And uh, really, now, long time coming, uh, but uh, now's uh, really important for uh, Victorians to be put at the heart of the benefits of this. So. We're going to have we have we're going to be a government that's going to deliver four and a half thousand megawatts of new renewable electricity uh, built right here in Victoria. The profits will come back to Victorians, so we're building it on behalf of Victorians, and the profits will be shared by Victorians. This is about what's good for Victorians, and ultimately, it's an essential service. So we make no apology for that, and we know that this is good for Victorians. Uh, Look, there will also be, you know, more than enough opportunity for the private uh, uh, sector to continue to invest in Victoria. We've got a big agenda here. We've got massive ambition, Joss. Uh, we're looking at uh, the the new uh, State Electricity Commission uh, will be uh, responsible for building uh, around four and a half. Thousand megawatts of new electricity generation here in our state. Uh, But we know that to achieve our 95% renewable electricity target, we'll need about uh, 17,000 megawatts of uh, new uh, generation to be built. So there's plenty of space there. uh, And we want uh, the private uh, investors to continue to come forward, knowing uh, that Victoria is a great place for them to invest.
2: Before announcing this target, did you have a talk to the owners of the remaining coal assets? And if you did, what did they tell you?
1: Oh, look, uh, our announcement is is based on uh, uh, what is sound for Victorians. And what is sound for Victorians uh, is uh, having a real uh, strong plan uh, that brings in more renewable electricity when we have more renewable electricity, when we have more power coming in, an abundance of power. We keep uh, downward pressure on power prices and Victoria's been kicking goals on that front. But we're also capturing 60,000 new jobs here in Victoria between now and 2035, slashing our emissions. Uh, the fact is uh, uh, we've got uh, AGL that's made their announcement about leaving uh, or closing down Yang A by 2035. And uh, frankly, Alinta has been talking uh, talking, spending a lot of months and and, I think into years talking about early retirement. So they cannot um, really be surprised that our government is not just going to sit around and wait for them to make uh, decisions and announce their decisions uh, when uh, the loss uh, is at our end. And that means, of course, uh, the longer they can string out uh, their announcements, um, the less certainty there is for us uh, for anyone to come in and build that new replacement electricity, uh, and the higher the prices will get. And we're not interested in being in that game. We're in the game of being on the side of Victorians and their power prices and capturing those job opportunities. Uh, this is our plan. We're going to go ahead and, and see a massive boom on top of the massive boom in uh, electricity creation uh, in our state. Uh, and we're gonna be reaping 60,000 jobs for Victorians and uh, lower power prices, uh, because the plan uh, is embedded uh, over a number of years. Uh, and of course, uh, slashing our emissions. And yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a win there for every Victorian. Well, you entered
2: a, into a contract with Yelorn over the timing of that closure. Um, we didn't actually see the details of that contract. Will you be doing similar deals with AGL and Linter? Just to sort of provide certainty about the closure of those coal fired power stations.
1: Well, look, ultimately, you know, that, that's uh, that's a matter for them if uh, they want to have conversations with uh, the Victorian government. But one thing's for, uh, very very clear: uh, we're not going to be sitting around. We've never been a government that sat around uh, and waited uh, for the market uh, to solve uh, what is, uh, you know, a massive challenge uh, globally, and that is about. Uh, uh, Getting to a decarbonised energy system, uh, capturing those tens of thousands of jobs and making sure that we keep pressure uh, on those power prices, downward pressure on those prices. Governments are elected to lead and that's exactly what we're doing. We've been doing that and we're going to be stepping it up.
2: What does the modelling, you mentioned about uh, lower power prices, what does the modelling tell you about this plan and what the prices will be for Victorian consumers in 5, 10, 15 years' time?
1: Well, uh, we already know that the cheapest uh, new uh, electricity generation that you can build is renewable energy. We've seen that play through uh, our own uh, wholesale and retail prices here in Victoria. We've absolutely seen that. Look, the modelling tells us clearly that on a... Uh, uh, uh with our commitment uh, to achieve 95% renewable electricity by 2035, uh, wholesale power prices will actually be lower then uh, than they are today.
2: You've also announced this week the investment and the support for the Mariners Link. Why is that government investment necessary and why is the Mariners Link so important for Victoria? I mean, can't you provide enough of the renewables and storage from your own state?
1: Oh, look, uh, this is not about uh, uh, us uh, uh, not being able to provide uh, sufficient storage to meet our own needs in Victoria. I mean, we've we've got the strongest uh, energy storage targets that we announced about three uh, weeks ago, and we're going to be legislating for that. Uh, So we've got no problem there. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, we're the home of the big batteries here in Victoria. Uh, and just two weeks ago, I announced a doubling of that, not just as an election commitment, but an actual uh, awarding of uh, of uh, grants uh, to, to make sure that we continue to build uh, our storage capacity. Uh, we're rolling out batteries uh, to thousands of homes across the state. Uh, we've got a very clear target to be uh, very su- uh, self-sufficient uh, or in terms of our own uh, electricity needs and our own storage needs, and the reliability component of that is really important. Uh, but look, um, uh, it's 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 really important that uh, we also, of course, tap into uh, a national approach. Uh, we know, of course, that uh, uh, the challenge of uh, renewable energy and decarbonising our energy system uh, needs to and can can actually uh, sorry having a national uh, uh, partner finally in Canberra. Uh, that is prepared to work uh, with the states uh, is uh, simply going to mean that we're going to be able to do more sooner uh, and uh, that's going to mean that we're all going to be better off uh, by that. The MOU that we uh, signed up uh, with the Commonwealth yesterday, of course, uh, uh, is, is going to be delivering um, some really terrific benefits for Victoria. Uh, the most important one certainly for us is to uh, lock in a delivery date for Kerrang Link, uh, that is the VNI West, uh, that other interconnector between Victoria and New South Wales. And why is that important? Well, we know that uh, uh, for too long uh, dates around uh, transmission and interconnectors have been moving around. And and I've been saying now for a long time, we need a grand bargain at a national level uh, that will lock in dates Uh, for all of the uh, transmission infrastructure that needs to be built, the interconnectors that need to be built. Once we can lock in the dates, we can just get on with it and do it, deliver it. Uh, And um, I'm pleased to see that the Commonwealth is going to be uh, providing uh, some significant uh, financial support, um, uh, financing at a very cheap uh, rate to ensure that these projects can actually uh, go ahead and be built and to be built uh, at a very uh, cost-efficient way. Um, so in Victoria, of course, we're getting uh, some really good financing uh, for that Kerang Link, but also, of course, investment to develop up our, our all of our six renewable energy zones. The other thing too, of course, is that uh, this goes back to that leadership and decisions that need to be made by uh, elected governments. And uh, we've got our offshore wind energy Uh, targets that uh, we're going to, we're getting ahead and and delivering on that. uh, And uh, we'll have more to say on that uh, soon. Uh, But, um, you know, we need strong interconnections uh, between uh, states. Victoria has got a long history of being a net exporter of power uh, to the rest of the country. We'll continue to be that. And of course, our offshore wind energy, uh, our storage, uh, sorry about that, our storage targets will ensure that we'll be able to continue to be uh, a net exporter of power to the rest of the country.
2: You mentioned offshore wind there, does this um, new 95% target mean that you will be accelerating the rollout of offshore wind and maybe actually ramping up your sort of expected capacity that you had? I can't remember what it was for 2035, um, I think it, well, was, um, it was four gigawatts by 2035, I think, wasn't it? Um, will, yeah. will, will, you need, will you need to have more now by that date?
1: Oh, no, look, I mean, offshore wind is absolutely, you know, a major game changer here for Victoria. And we're going to we're, we're working on that. We're we're working as fast as we can. Um, this is a major new industry that we're going to be developing here, not just for Victoria, but the whole country. I mean, the fact is the first movers uh, in offshore wind uh, have the uh, the opportunity to become the national hub Uh, for offshore wind, and that's exactly where Victoria's going to be. So we're going to get on and do that. We've got our targets. They're very uh, ambitious targets, but they're going to be doable, and we're going to get on and get that done. Um, But let's be also clear that there's still uh, uh, more than enough uh, opportunity for us to uh, extend out other types of technologies that we're going to rely on uh, to get to our targets. And uh, more solar, uh, more onshore uh, wind, uh, other technologies of course, uh, that uh, may not actually be with us now, but may very well be with us in 10 years time. Uh, all of that uh, will be part of a very uh, integrated uh, and well-planned system mm. of uh, replacing our uh, fossil fuel uh, electricity uh, to one that is, uh, you know, renewable electricity and uh,
0: yeah.
1: and uh, that wealth and that, that depth of diversity is going to be really important to make sure that we get this right. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing. You, so how will you
2: actually meet that target? Will it be a series of um, you've, you've held a um, couple of significant re- uh, renewable energy auctions? Will that continue to be the main thrust of new development in in, in Victoria? Or will you be um, and, and if you do that, then how, how do you manage the state government's role in, 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 in such an auction?
1: Well, you know, one of the uh, the, the State Electricity Commission is going to have uh, a lot of uh, uh, matters that uh, they're going to be working on, of course, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll uh, allow them to, uh, once we've established them, we've got a, an election to win, of course, Charles, and if we have the the privilege of being returned to government uh, at the end of November, we, we won't be wasting a moment uh, setting up the SEC, but there'll be a lot of work ahead, uh, but we won't be wasting any time but, uh, on it. Uh, but the, the, the fact is, uh, you know, we've already had a couple of uh, uh, reverse auctions. They've worked phenomenally well. Uh, They've been a really important uh, mechanism, Uh, the the reverse auction and the contract for difference has proved to be uh, really, really advantageous and beneficial, uh, giving giving certainty to investors to come forward and build really great projects. Um, Now, what mechanisms will we use into the future? We'll we'll, we'll see. We'll work our way through this. Uh, But uh, the point is we're going to get it done. Uh, We've got a proven track record of doing it. Uh, every target that we've set for ourselves we've uh, we've met and we've beaten it so and uh, that's not going to change. Uh, our ambition is growing absolutely uh, but victorians want us to be ambitious. Uh, victorians want to see uh, clean energy uh, and they want to see strong action on climate and mm. uh, you know we've never been just about talking about things and setting targets it's about getting on and doing it, and that's what we'll be doing.
2: We're seeing an interesting situation now where Victoria has got this 95% renewable target by 2035, its own storage target. We've got Queensland doing an 80% renewable target by the same date, its own storage plans. We've got New South Wales rolling out its own infrastructure roadmap. We've got South Australia pretty much on its way to 100% renewables, Tasmania looking, already there and looking to double it. The next state energy ministers meeting is next Friday. What role is there now for a ele- national electricity market? Or, or what will you guys be looking to achieve? Because it seems very much that all the individual states have their own plans, their own mechanisms, their own market designs. How do we get this thing to work together as a, as a whole unit, a national market?
1: Well, well, Jules, I mean, it has been working together. I mean, the last eight years uh, have been eight years of failed uh, federal leadership. That has not stopped Victoria uh, for taking the ambition, setting the ambition, growing the jobs, being the the renewable energy jobs capital of the rest of the country. Of the country uh, that hasn't stopped ambition. It hasn't stopped New South Wales setting their own ambition, and neither will it stop uh, Queensland and and other states. Look, there's going to be the the national energy market will be different. It will still be there, uh, but it will be different. And fundamentally, uh, we, we we are in a position now. Uh, that uh, that elected governments ought to be in, and that is showing the leadership. We know that, and I've been saying this for a number of years, Giles. You, you know this. That I've been saying for a number of years that uh, not only do we have uh, failed federal leadership, but we also have a national system designed back twenty five, thirty years ago uh, that was designed as a set and forget. Uh, that was that was a, a terrible situation for us to be in because it's now for the last few years not served us well. And this is why government action, government leadership is really important. And we're doing that, we're steering the ship, uh, we're getting on and doing things. We still need a national uh, electricity market and, and the rules because when we are able to uh, share in the resources that we have uh, producing uh, renewable electricity uh, across the jurisdictions, uh, that means that we're all going to be uh, much better off in terms of reliability and uh, And I think that's what Victorians want. I think that's what the country wants. Uh, No one's walking away from that, uh, that's for sure. Uh, The other important thing, of course, is that the federal government now is absolutely a partner, uh, absolutely a partner uh, with the states. Um, And I know Chris Bowen has wasted no time in uh, taking the steps that he has, um, getting his climate change targets legislation uh, through the parliament, uh, wasting no time on doing some really serious but and and, and long overdue work on uh, moving towards decarbonising our uh, transport system with uh, the ZEV work that he's doing, uh, fuel efficiency standards and the like. Uh, that is work that is absolutely vital uh, for us to continue on the journey of decarbonising the whole of the economy. We know, of course, it's not just about electricity. It's not just about decarbonising fossil gas. Uh, it's also about tr- uh, transport, which, uh, is the next big emitter? It's the next big challenge, and um, <clears throat> and really, it's really terrific, uh, Giles, to see uh, all of the energy ministers uh, around the table, fairly much seeing from the same hymn sheet, knowing, uh, being uh, heading in the one direction uh, about the need to decarbonise, and uh, we're going to see a really big uplift, I know, right. in these next few years because of that. Um, but you know, our ambition is not being curtailed by by new. Um, partner in Canberra, uh, we're ramping it up. Uh, But uh, having partners uh, across the way uh, is a really important way of being able to ensure that uh, we take uh, all of the country along this journey. And uh, and that's only a positive, I think.
2: One final question. Um, Presumably, you consulted with the Australian Energy Market Operator on this. What did they tell you about their assessment of their ability to, one, ensure that enough capacity was built in time, that it could be connected in time and that the lights would stay on with 95% renewables?
1: Well, look, the market operator plays an important role. Uh, It'll continue to play an important role and they've produced uh, a lot of reports about uh, what's doable, what's achievable, but understanding that uh, a lot of uh, uh, the energy infrastructure architecture needs to also be in place. Uh, But, look, ultimately, uh, governments have to make the decisions about uh, how to frame their ambition and how to achieve their ambition. I mean, it's all very well and good for us to say, well, this is our target for renewable electricity by this state. But if we don't have the transmission built, uh, then or, or, or we don't have any certainty around when transmission will be built and actually get on and do it, well, then that's going to make a lot of uh, investors out there very nervous about their next uh, financial decision uh, to, to build the next uh, new power station. Uh, if they're not confident that they're going to have transmission available to be able to uh, take their power and, and move it around uh, the state or indeed interstate. Uh, that's why the MOU yesterday that was struck with the Commonwealth is so vital. Lock in link. Stop this uh, changing of dates, lock it in, move on and get it done. And that's what we're going to do.
2: Hmm. Well, uh, Minister Dan Brazier, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Um, good luck with the plan and also um, good luck in the upcoming election campaign.
1: Thanks so much, Jules.
2: So that was Lily D'Ambrosio, the Victorian State Energy Minister. Um, that government is about to go into the caretaker period at the end of next week, which is probably why we've seen these announcements this week. David, um, interesting stuff. Um, big commitments, big numbers, dates, not a lot of detail, quite a lot of confusion about how they manage the coal-fired um, generator exits. It's gonna be interesting if they do any year-lawn type deals. And if there is a section of the industry worried about anything at all, it's going to be, um, why bring back the SEC? What's your assessment?
3: Well, you know, I don't see much of a point, to be honest, to being um, a private sector retailer and possibly not even a private sector generator. If you're a retailer, you're going to have to be buying power from Queensland and Victorian government-owned entities that can essentially determine your profit margin. Um, and uh, you also, if you're a smaller retailer, you'll no longer be able to hedge your output as easily as you wanted to. And that's because, in quite separately, Macquarie Bank and one, uh, at least one other firm have withdrawn um, activity in the clearing house of the futures market. So it'll be very difficult for you to hedge as a small retailer. Um, and, and so, you know, you do have to wonder about these companies. I mean, the big gentailers brought this to an extent on themselves because they simply refused to invest in the new wind and solar that they needed to invest in. Well, that's exactly the point that lady D'Ambrosio was making. <laughs> and I agree with that. But um, also, um, the, uh, it's still going to require quite a lot of transmission in Victoria, which is going to face all the same social licence A lot of people say that uh, prices of electricity rose more in Victoria, um, you know, after privatisation, which ignores so many things. I can't even be bothered to start talking about them, uh, in all honesty, because we just don't have the time. But if you want to look at an example of uh, some of the bad consequences of how government ownership can go, just look at Snowy. You know, the same people that will tell you what evil things electricity gen are and how much profit the coal generation made. Uh, will then turn around and say, what a bad job uh, government-owned Snowy 2 is doing. Uh, and, you know, I personally don't think the coal generators... Uh, I think there's a lot of shareholders that have wish they'd never heard of the bloody things because uh, if you look at the return on equity, uh, it hasn't turned out all that well.
2: Um, Yeah. Does Victoria then have a case of Queensland envy? Because, I mean, Queensland is largely, not entirely, but largely state-owned in terms of its networks and most of its generation. Does that make it easier for them to sort of navigate and negotiate um, this sort of transition? I mean, we see in New South Wales that's not state-owned, but they've certainly taken state central control over the transition. They're sort of creating these zones, planning these auctions twice a year for the next decade. Um, Is that kind of what's been that is needed it's, it's interesting i mean do you to a, to a certain extent the states have needed have felt the need to be in control
3: yes they do feel that need and it's because the federal government and to an extent the gentiles have sort of brought about their own uh demise in this area um look i, I believe that markets proper competitive markets provide better solutions if I didn't believe that I'd probably want to go and live in a, in a fully socialist or, or communist country I mean uh, you know all the stuff I ever learned showed that that markets allow consumers to express preferences uh, allow and competition uh, ensures that per, there's no overcharging stuff now markets are often very often broken in practice and there are oligopolies and excess profits but I still tend to believe that overall they provide the best overall outcomes when uh, we, if we go back to the reasons why the uh, State Electricity Commissions of Victoria and New South Wales were broken up in the first place, it's because they were seen as, as uh, not judging the market very well. New South Wales had far too much generation built at the, at the wrong time. And in general, um, you know, risk. the general theory is that risk is best borne by, by, by market participants. Snowy 2, in my opinion, would never have been done by the private sector as an example. If you look up in Queensland, uh, and I'm just doing some work on this, which I hope to uh, show to Renew Economy readers in a little while, just trying some back of the envelope uh, calculations, you know, the pumped hydro and associated transmission up there might be in the order of 16, 18 billion dollars, you know, on right now. And that's before we get going. That Barumba Dam is 70 kilometres from Noosa. Uh, uh, There'll be a lot of discussion about it, it won't be quite as easy as all of that. And when the government owns it all, uh, they don't listen to people who are complaining or whether they're, because they don't have to, there's no process really that makes the government as accountable as the private sector.
2: Okay, let's move on to the first of the Rewiring the Nation project. Um, Probably about four and a half billion dollars committed or all all up I think. Um, So we've got the Marinus Link and support for some of the upgrades to the hydro stations there. Um, And plus we've got the Kerrang Link which is sort of VNI West um, which links part of Snowy to Victoria but also unlocks a whole bunch of wind and solar in western Victoria. Um, plus we've got this support for renewable energy zones in Victoria, most of which I suspect is actually going to go to help the offshore wind connections um, particularly in Gippsland. What's your assessment um, of that and, and then I'd like to get to social license afterwards but just, just basically of, the, of of the principle of what um, what's been un, un, unveiled this week
3: Well, I keep coming back to the ISP, which is a techno-economic document and it only takes the cost inputs that it, that it had available to it, but it showed the greatest benefits to, of all the transmission programs that it uh, was forecasting came from Mariners and Link. Now I understand that's very hotly disputed by a lot of people, but Marin uh, Tasmania has the hydro, existing hydro resource which can act to do a lot of firming in Victoria. Uh, but the benefits weren't going to flow to Tasmania or even just to Victoria. The benefit of that firming is felt all the way up in New South Wales. And so, Tasman- so the Tasmania wanted uh, it to be paid for by the people receiving the benefit. Well, that was never going to happen. <laughs> and and so having federal funding of it kind of allows the national interest as expressed it, by by the ISP and by AEMO that this is something that should happen. It's, it's in, According to its model, it is very much in the national interest and it allows the Federal Government to further that. So uh, I'm fully in, 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 in favour of that and it's not so much or just only that the interest savings, which are more important now interest rates are higher, but it's the signalling intent that they want it to happen that I think will help the private sector to come on board.
2: Social license is an important issue. Um, there are parts of the Mariner's Link and I guess the associated projects, I think more particularly with Robbins Island and some of those big wind projects um, um, in the Tarkine and going through the Tarkine, which have sort of simply horrified Bob Brown, Christine Milne and people like that. Um, but you also held a...
3: We held Giles, the, the Australian Institute of Energy, uh, Sydney branch, held a um, uh, uh, social licence thing where we got uh, a landowner, Lee Kingmer as it happens, who has two transmission lines running through his property at Tumon, uh, to come up and talk about it. And the single uh, landowners down there, and I learned a lot of lessons about it, which is that If you're a transgrid you really want to just work out exactly what the best route is don't have 45 options and tell every landowner in new south wales that it might be going through their property (laughs) because that's the way to organize everyone to hate you so you work out where is best you understand the people you're going to be talking to aren't going to like it and then you just pay them enough to make it worthwhile and and you know in the end a transmission line has bad visual appeal but it's that's about all of it you can still do farming and stuff around it and I, uh, this is the, the point is that the um, transgrid justin un- easements don't get paid enough um, and, you know, they talked about the cost of under, uh, whereas if you have a fully negotiated wind farm on your property, the same landowners that oppose transmission are falling over themselves to get wind farms on their property because they can make a lot of money out of it because it's a fully negotiated answer. And well, That's very much a commercial
2: sort of discussion, though, isn't it? That's basically landowners sort of saying, well, we'd like to have something, we'd like to have an income. There's no doubt that landowners are sort of very happy to have those things, particularly if they're getting an income. But there are got to be situations where we sort of think, well, is that really the best place to put something? I mean, if it is in the Tarkine, if it is in a World Heritage Area, should we be rethinking how we do that best? Um, or maybe picking a project which doesn't affect the environment in, in, in such a way.
3: Uh, I absolutely agree with that uh, um, uh, I do, and, and we have these biodiversity offsets which you know they're a billion dollars in the case of HumeLink, mm. but, but they're very poorly thought about and planned yes. all the discussion <laughs> I have but the same I'm not, people. I'm not, I'm not
2: a big. I'm not a big fan of offsets so sort of destroying something to pretend I'm going to create something else somewhere. Something somewhere else. But anyway, yes. Uh,
3: uh, I was just going to say, you know, the same people that want Hume Link underground. Uh, you know, Mariner's Link is underwater for the most part. Uh, uh, yes, there are terminal stations at the end, and I think the personally think, and this is entirely my. Uh, possibly spurious opinion, that the objections to Marinus Link, the underlying objection is not to Marinus Link itself, it's to the development in Tasmania that would occur after Marinus, that Marinus Link facilitates. Oh, I think, I th- I
2: think that's, I th- I that's undoubted, yes, because I think there's a fear that this sort of opens up the Tarkine and places like that. But it was really interesting to see actually this week that there's going to be competition there because there's offshore winds sort of popping up everywhere. Um, there's going to be some in Bass Strait. We've just seen Vena Energy um pop up with a two gigawatt um, wind farm which we'd actually sort of written about sort of highlighted um a couple of months ago they've now confirmed a two gigawatt wind farm offshore wind farm in Gippsland area area and some of the people who created Vena the original Equus have now popped up with a project of their own in Tasmania different parts of Tasmania starting off with a wind farm near Bell Bay Um, this is Equus Developments um, 800 megawatts of wind in sort of various parts of Tasmania in the north as well I'm guessing not in World Heritage Areas, but they haven't actually mapped that out yet plus another five big battery storage projects um, scattered around the rest of the mainland state. So um, for someone to sort of think that they're gonna have priority or that something will be built, I mean, there's gonna be intense competition for all these things out there.
3: Uh, that is the, what the gov- where the government private sector competition can still come, it's for the PPA price. So that's why I've always, uh, mm. and many of us have supported the PPA model. Um, you mentioned, um, um, you know, and Tasmania has a great wind resource, that's the other side of the argument. You know, it's got the best capacity factors in the whole NEM, better even than some of the offshore locations. But let's not talk any more about that with the story, which is still to play out. I think we need to move on to batteries, Giles. We had a big announcement in New South Wales, but actually as big as that announcement is, the number that really caught my eye this week was... Uh, the fact was something from Solar Quotes where I'm very grateful to them because they keep track of all these bat- household battery prices. And they showed that the price of a tow- uh, Tesla um, uh, Powerwall recently installed, not even in, installed with the Gateway Box, is about $19,000. That's up from you know, the $13,000 that it have more or less stood out continuously for five or six years. So, so rather than going down in price, as we all believed it would, uh, it's actually gone up in price fifty uh, percent in twelve months.
2: That's an awful lot, isn't it? Look, and I think some of the, um, the the cost for some of the utility scale batteries um, has um, is also going up. I saw a report from Bloomberg talking about PPA prices in Europe and New- and United States, which have sort of jumped between ten and twenty percent, I think, in the last twelve months because of the uh, logistical challenges and also the supply challenges. Elon Musk talked about the problems. Um, producing enough batteries getting enough lithium he just says look long term that's not actually an issue but in the short term it's a major problem they've got semiconductor issues as well just getting back to the battery storage announcements it was quite amazing to see that the waratah super battery um, is to be built by acacia energy um, congratulations to them um, there are a couple of people experienced people in the battery storage industry but this company has actually not produced anything itself it's got a couple of really interesting projects in the pipeline it has of course been bought um, or BlackRock has t- come to take a, a majority share in their their company and has obviously given it deep pockets but it 's pretty interesting that a, bi- um, uh, a a startup comes in and sort of grabs the, uh, grabs the um, the tender for the um, what they 're describing as the biggest battery in the world. I'm not too sure if it is, but it 's pretty close.
3: Uh, they have to execute, of course, but uh, I, I have long believed that businesses uh, successful businesses are run by people who know what they're doing it's not uh, in the end a lot of times natural advantages it's the people who run the business so you've got to start up with as you say mm. with deep pockets and people who you know, a, 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 a chief executive an ex-chairman of the amp once told me uh giles that uh, that it's 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 not who you know it's who knows you and obviously some people knew Acacia. Huh? well there
2: you go yeah 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 well it's interesting also so Mao Ning, which is a small company which has been involved in some projects um, uh, the Sun Razia project and the Smuggler Lane Solar Farm which has sort of um, somehow managed to fall into receivership in, in, in Canberra just by getting a, uh, a pp of $180 a megawatt hour. Um, they've brought in a Hong Kong real estate investor. Um, we've seen a lot of people coming into the market and interestingly we've seen some money thrown at medium to long duration storage with some innovative technologies. I think just um, on Friday, today, uh, we've got AGL promising $45 million for this compressed air storage at Broken Hill, um, which will be interesting, I mean, a bit like the solar thermal project in Port Augusta, really interesting new technology, they've got to land the rest of the finance before they um, go ahead. But also, um, ARENA's funding helping AGL out, I mean, I'm surprised that AGL actually need it, but anyway, they're giving them half a million dollars to test to new um, thermal storage technology, one Australian and one German, which could be used um, to retrofit some of the steam turbines. So um, there's an awful lot happening with storage.
3: Yes there is, and uh, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this before, but uh, Vast Solar, which is one of those companies trying to develop a concentrating uh, solar plant, that's ones that use the sun to reflect off the mirrors and then reflect the light to a heliostat tower, Tower of Power, it always produces the most impressive photos, but not always the best economics. Um, uh, but an offshoot of that technology is the heat, heat that is generated, and it c- could be a very good, low-carbon way, not necessarily for generating electricity, although that might still work, but it, uh, certainly for absolutely producing zero-carbon heat, which can be used to, uh, in various industrial processes. So that's something I'll be keeping an eye on as well.
2: So David, just to sort of sum up, I mean, it's just been an extraordinary last couple of weeks, really. We know, we've had the Queensland announcement. We've got New South Wales charging ahead with its sort of first auction for the renewable energy tender. We've had a couple of announcements from Victoria, their storage target. Um, we've had the rewiring in the nation thing. We've had Victoria talking 95% renewables by 2035. I mean, just imagine people talking about that five years ago. You're just going, no, 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 that's not going to happen. It can't happen. Technically, it can't happen. And now we've got, you know, AEMO talking about sort of revising the inverter rules uh, for connections process, just to smooth this transition to 100% renewables. It's seeing it's that we're right in the midst of just an extraordinary time in the market. I guess a lot of people are still trying to find their feet, but there just seems to be no doubt now about the direction we're going. Um, and we know it's going to be reasonably quick. I guess the big question is, is it going to be quick enough?
3: Well, I, I still think, um, yes. So it is fantastic news. At at the end of the day, the commitments by the Victorian and Queensland Government are absolutely fantastic, you know, and we are going to, we are leading the world. Uh, I agree with Tony Wood, who said that, Australia is absolutely a world leader in decarbonising the electricity grid. And all the theory says that decarbonising electricity is the way to decarbonise the economy because then you can electrify everything afterwards. And that's a wonderful future in the one sense. Uh, uh, on the other hand, it, it brings with it endless uh, sort of issues uh, you know, about exports of thermal energy. But putting that to one side, it's the execution, Giles, and that's where I don't think Australia's got a clue at the moment really about how to do it. The people that should have been doing it really are the large gen tailors. They're the natural sort of conduit between uh, the governments, if you like, and policy and the end markets. But they've been just essentially uh, neutered, you know, defenestrated or something, I think is the word I read in my books. Uh, uh, and, and, and So who is actually going to be the people that are actually going to organise this, that are going to make sure the transmission's actually built, that are going to keep track of all the new wind and solar projects. I haven't worked out whether we need a, a, you know, a, a gigawatt a week, but it's going to be something like that, every um, or a month. Uh, We've got 80 months to get, you know, something like 50 gigawatts of power built. Uh, um, There's such a lot to do and there's no, at the moment, uh, organised way of doing it. And there's going to be so much competition in these supply chains that, you know, having it well organised and trying to make it run efficiently uh, and and above all getting the transmission built to start with and none of the social licence uh, problems are going to go away just because the government announces something. That's not going to make uh, farmers any happier or unhappier. Uh, so, there's a lot to do. Do we need an energy zarf? Personally, I have long thought that we need someone like that. Someone that, that, that the market can look to, uh, uh, you know, an execution department. Someone who has uh, KPIs about this has to happen this year or this year. And if they don't, they, uh, as it happens, they get paid. And if they don't, at the moment, there's lots of announcements, lots of checks and balances, but no one actually responsible for making it happen.
2: If you think you're that person, please send your CV and a cover note to editor at Renew Economy and uh, we'll pass it on to the appropriate people and see if we can keep it to be energies are. David, um, um, slightly offbeat end to uh, another fascinating week, another great episode. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to our sponsors, Evigen and Pylon for your ongoing and continued support. And um, I guess we'll be back again next week with another episode and be fascinated to see what happens over the end to being seven days. Bye for now.
0: Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant. Generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole, Evergen software is powering the energy system of the future.